Howdy, howdy, folks. I am Father Fred Gatchett, and you are tuned into the Double-Edged Sword Program here on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KGOH 89.1 Colby, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, and the station that started it all, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. On the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And on today's Double-Edged Sword program, if you listen to the many shows I've done in the past, I've done quite a few of them, usually what I do is we have a, you know, I have a topic and I go for, you know, 20, 25 minutes and then we have to stop for a little break and then I finish up on the second half. Um, today is going to be a little bit different. I've got two totally separate things I want to present on. And um, the first one is going to be just on the, on the whole topic of repentance because repentance is the bread and butter of the Christian. You know, repentance is not a once and done sort of deal. It certainly is a, a lifelong project where we're seeking to um, repent of our evil ways and, and try to live in the light that um, that Christ has set for us. And I thought we would talk about that because it's, um, again, it's something that is supposed to be um, a part of the daily life of the Christian. Of course, you know, we intensify it during times of, like in Lent, but um, nonetheless, repentance is an important thing. And, um, the I think the 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 piece of scripture I want to use to start with it is when Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, "Be perfect as your Father is perfect." Okay, and um, this idea of perfection, you know, what does that mean? You know, we look at that and we think, "You got to be kidding! How can I be perfect as God is perfect? If that's supposed to be what I'm supposed to do from the get go, I'm dead in the water before I even get started." Well, but it depends on your understanding of perfection. Um, the Greek word teleos which is what we use, what we find in the, in the New Testament when it talks about perfection. The letter of James talks about this quite a bit as well. Perfection does not mean flawless, spotless, no mistakes, no errors. Perfection means basically fidelity. Perfection means picking up and going on, okay? And so this being the case, you know, someone says, well, is it possible to have a perfect Christian marriage? Well, if by perfect you mean there's never any problems, never any disagreements, whatever, no, then it's not. But according to the New Testament understanding of the word perfect, as in be perfect as your father is perfect, you can only you can almost translate that really better as be faithful as your heavenly father is faithful. Okay? And we can certainly do that. When we mess up, we can pick up and go on. You know, with a, you know, if a married couple has a, has a tiff between them, you know, they can ask forgiveness from one another and pick up and go on and maybe even have their marriage be stronger. You know, as Christians, um, we mess up, we go to confession, but, and hopefully we pick up and go on. But it's that dynamic of, of, of teleos, of perfection, that I think we need to talk about when we're talking about repentance. And what I, what I mean by that would be, for example, if, if, um, Whenever we find ourselves doing something bad, something that we shouldn't have done, there's a number of different motivations we might have for going, okay, I'm not going to do that again. One motivation might be, you know, maybe, maybe I stole something, okay, and I got caught. You know, maybe I shopped for something from the store and I got caught. Or I was embezzling something from my employer and I got caught. 
And now I've got problems because, you know, the store called the police and they wrote me a ticket and I have to go to court to, you know, either plead guilty or not guilty to shoplifting or, you know, my employer found out that I was embezzling funds from the company or whatever and they've, you know, they're going to investigate it and so on. And what's going to happen? You know, I mean, I could be brought up on charge. I go to jail. Okay, so maybe one thing is I'm going, well, I shouldn't have been stealing because I got caught and there's a bad consequence to it. And I don't like the bad consequence. That's not the greatest reason for repentance, but it's a start, you know. Now, um, the, the the next one might be, well, I look around and say, yeah, you know, because of thieves like me, you know, the world is not the place that it could be. And so I look at that and go, well, yeah, I've contributed to that and, and I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Okay, well and good. But most importantly would be to see it from the point of view of God our Father, you know. And I think that, you know, we could do a lot worse when we go to prayer to say, please, God, let me see my actions as you see them. Okay, and then if I can see my actions as God himself sees them, then I'm going to go, well, this is a virtuous, this is a good thing to do. Why would I want to do anything different? Or I'm going to look at the bad things that I have done and I'm going to go, well, that's just wretched. Why would I want to do that? I'm not going to do that again. And so, you know, the idea being that on the one hand, I can I can repent for what I did because of the bad consequences of what I did, or I can repent of what I did because I see it for what it truly is. And as in, you know, out of an act of human reason, out of an act of, you know, a human act of will, which is enlightened by the Holy Spirit, I go, well, why would I want to do that? You know, that that's just a, a one-way trip to nowhere. I shouldn't be doing that. And, you know, that really, that's what gets summed up in, a, in the classical formulation of the, of the act of contrition. When I say, oh, my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended you, and I detest all my sins. Here comes the first one. Because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. I detest my sins because I don't like the consequences. But most of all, because they offend you, my God, who are all good and deserving of all my love. Now, that's the other um, reason for, for repentance, which is I've disrupted a relationship of love between me and God. And that's, that's what we call perfect contrition. Perfect contrition is I'm sorry because what I did disrupted a relationship of love between me and God. Imperfect contrition is I'm sorry because ultimately I don't want to go to hell. I'm sorry because of the bad consequences of the stupid thing that I did. Now, it's not that one is bad and the other is good. One is good and the other is better. Imperfect contrition is good. Um, perfect contrition is better. And I think that's, you know, kind of what we have to look at. When we also look at, you know, kind of our motivations and we look at, you know, how we're sorry and why we're sorry and how all this planes out, there's, there's a couple of extremes there as well. One of the old Protestant canards that you hear a lot is, you know, well, those Catholics, you know, they think they can just kind of commit whatever sin they want and they trot into that little booth and they come out and everything's good. Well, first of all, the church doesn't teach that. You know, you have to be careful of the, that, that particular mode of, of argument where somebody else tells you what you believe and then they attack what they just told you. Um, that's, you know, you have to be careful of that one because nowhere does the church teach that, you know, we can go off and commit whatever sin we want and then trot into the confessional and everything's all good because it's not. Um, whenever I commit a, uh, any particular sin, 
I'll go back to, you know, if I steal something. Um, if I steal something, I have violated the rights of the person from whom I stole because I took their property unjustly. I have violated the seventh commandment. I've offended God because God's seventh commandment says you shall not steal. And kind of as I alluded to a few minutes ago, I've offended justice. You know, because of thieves like me out there, you know, people have to lock their cars and, you know, be worried about leaving their purse at the restaurant or, you know, make sure their 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 um, passwords on the computer are all up to date because there's all kinds of, you know, bad agents out there, you know, going to try to rip them off somehow. And so when, when we look at those, at the three entities that are offended by sin, I, I offend God, I offend my neighbor, and I offend justice. Well, whenever I go to confession, that's where I'm cleaning up the mess between me and God. You know, when I go to confession and confess, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been two weeks since my last confession. In that time, I stole something. Okay, well, um, I am confessing to God. I am apologizing to God for having violated his seventh commandment. But I still have to restore what I took. You know, and so if I took some money from somebody or if I took somebody's property or whatever, I have to restore that somehow. I have to, you know, make up for that for that sin against my neighbor. Um, there's many ways that can happen. You know, sometimes, you know, people maybe when they were younger, maybe they're teenagers or something like that. You know, they stole something or, you know, whatever it is they did. And then they get into their 40s or 50s or 60s and they're kind of looking back and going, Man, I was just a little, you know, street urchin back in those days. We were, you know, robbing these stores blind, you know, and so on. Thought we were really funny getting away with it. But now that I'm, you know, 50 years old, I look back on it and going, that was bad. I shouldn't have been doing that. But, you know, the little store that we used to rob blind when we were eight years old or whatever, it no longer exists. What do I do? You know, I, I went to confession and, and made a, you know, what's called a good general confession. Sometimes, you know, that's a, a worthwhile thing to do. We'll talk about that in a second. But maybe I went and, and made a general confession and now it's like, okay, well, you know, I went back and looked at my whole life and, you know, when I was a little kid, you know, that was a particularly bad thing we were doing as a teenager or whatever. And now I have to try to make good on that, but I can't. Because the store went out of business or, you know, the people that owned the business sold it. And, you know, it used to be a little, you know, like a little dime store or whatever. And now it's a warehouse of some kind, whatever. So how, how am I going to make good on that? And that's where almsgiving comes in, you know. So if I want to make good on what I, what I stole, I would give alms. I might, you know, give, make a generous donation to the local food pantry or food bank or something to help the poor. I remember one time I heard a, one of the priests on Catholic radio was saying, don't go running to the church to give your, you know, whenever you, you, know, you finally get a conscience and, you know, we, we realize the wrong that we did. And they go, well, I'll make a donation to the church. He said, the church doesn't want, you know, ill-gotten gain like that. Give it to the poor. You know, I thought that was a pretty good point. So I have to make up for that. I make up for my sin by giving to, you know, by confessing to God for violating his seventh commandment. Then I make good on it somehow. You know, again, if I, if I stole something or, you know, if I committed the sin of detraction, you know, if I was tearing down someone's reputation, I go to this person, I tell them what I did and I beg forgiveness. You know, we have to make good on that. And then finally, there's the sin against justice, you know, and, and, and the, the, the way that we make up for the sin against justice are the classical atonements for sin that we find in the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospel of St. Matthew, a prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. 
And so, you know, maybe I would go and, you know, make the Stations of the Cross or, you know, um, there, I know there's, a, there's an indulgence associated with reading scripture for half an hour before the Blessed Sacrament. I mean, you know, there are things we can do to, you know, these acts of atonement we can do with prayer. Fasting, you know, maybe just maybe fasting from food, you know, saying I'm going to eat, you know, one full meal in the course of a day. And even that's going to be kind of a, a, a skimpy one. And then two smaller things just to kind of maintain my strength as the church teaches. And I mean, I'll do that for a week, you know, because fasting tends to clear the head and helps us see things more clearly. And then again, maybe I'll, it'll help me get to the point of seeing things the way God sees them. And then I just want nothing more to do with it, which would be a good thing. And then almsgiving, you know, which means giving to the poor, helping the poor. Um, it doesn't mean giving to the parish. It means giving to Catholic charities so they can help the poor or, you know, the Salvation Army or, you know, the local food pantry, you know, something like that. Some, some means to help out the poor. So prayer, prayer, fasting and almsgiving. So we have to watch out for those things. Finally, then um, there would also be the kind of the two extremes of why someone would be impenitent. That is to say, why does somebody get to the point of going, I'm just not sorry. You know, in, in the Gospel of St. Mark, I believe it's in chapter 8, um, Jesus talks about the sin against the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, all blasphemies that men utter will be forgiven them, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit is guilty of an everlasting sin, will never be forgiven. And whenever people read that, when they hear it read at Mass and so on, people are wondering, gosh, what could be so terrible? What could be so bad that it could never be forgiven? Well, the answer, quite simply, is impenitence. You know, God cannot forgive the sin for which I am not sorry. If I did something, and maybe on the one hand, I'm going, yeah, I did it, and I'll do it again. You know, they might, you know, the church might teach it's a sin, the Bible might say it's a sin, but... You know, I don't care. I like doing whatever it is that I was doing, and I'm not going to apologize for it because it's fun or whatever. Or, you know, whoever I did it to had it coming. I'm not going to apologize for that. So if, if we're impenitent, if we, if we just are not sorry, then God's not going to force forgiveness on us. So we have to keep that straight. But then there's two other kind of extremes. Um, one is the sin of presumption. And that's kind of the one I alluded to a minute ago, that um, people, you know, if someone, if there's someone out there who's really saying, okay, here I am looking at, you know, looking right down the barrel at a particular bad act, you know, whatever it is, maybe I'm sitting there thinking, okay, it's Friday night, Saturday night, I'm going to go out and get blotto drunk and then, you know, have a, have a good time, you know, find some, you know, somebody, you know, to have some kind of a wild sexual fling with or something like that. And I go, yeah, I'll just do it. You know, they got confessions on Saturday. I'll just go to confession. You know, God's forgiving. Okay. Well, that's the sin of presumption. You know, the, the, this idea that, well, I'm just going to do what I'm do what I want to do. And I'll just presume upon God's forgiveness. And later on, I'll just be sorry for it then. But, but right now I'm going to have my good time. Well, the thing of it is, is it kind of goes back to the original point. If we're not sorry, we can't get forgiveness. A presumptuous person is not sorry. And that can be kind of a difficult thing because, you know, what if, you know, you have sometimes you know, we fall into these patterns of sin and then we go to confession and sometimes folks really agonize over that. They're going, you know, gosh, you know, this is the, the fourth time I've confessed this this month. You know, am I presuming upon God's mercy? Well, might be. 
Um, at the same time, I think, you know, we, we want to be confident in God's mercy that sometimes it just takes two or three times going back to confession and getting grace and hearing ourselves with our own mouth saying what we did to help us to overcome these sins. And so, um, you know, there, there might be some presumption there, or it might just be somebody struggling, you know, trying to do the right thing and trying to overcome a, an habitual sin, which could be, you know, that could be the case. The other extreme of it, rather than presumption, is called despair. And despair is when basically I say, you know, I am such a worthless, low-down piece of trash. There is no way that God could ever forgive the likes of me, and so I'm not even going to ask. Well, again, that's despair. It's falling into a state of despair. If I've gotten to the point where I'm just telling myself I'm not going to ask for God's forgiveness, well, then I'm not sorry. Okay, and so despair can be a can be one of the things too that would that would prevent us from from achieving true repentance. But um, getting back to the to the you know kind of the main topic of what true repentance would be all about would be getting to the point where this is no longer a struggle. You know the the idea is I think a lot of times you know we we think well okay. I did these certain things wrong, you know, because I have to, I'll go to confession, I'll confess, I know what I have to confess, because I know I did it, heck, I'll probably go out and do it again, but at least if I get hit by a truck in the meantime, I won't go to hell. Is that good? Yeah, it's good, you know, because we're repentant and we're trying to set things right, but are there things that are better? And there definitely are. There are much better motivations out there for repenting of our sins. Not the least of which is understanding a relationship of love between us and God that has been disrupted by my behavior. And then, you know, because of that, I want to put that behavior behind me. I think that, you know, with our, with our regular human relationships, we understand that pretty well. That if the relationship means anything to us and I've done something to disrupt that relationship, well, of course I'm going to go to this person that's important in my life. You know, even up to and including my spouse, it could be that important. But, you know, maybe it's a good friend or, you know, a, a coworker that I like or whatever. And that I did something and I, I have offended this person and now I need to go try to set things right. Well, again, you know, we can... Do it because, well, I guess if I have to, I can do it. But again, with, with, with people's relationships that we have, if it's a relationship we value, we're not going to go in with that attitude. We're going to go in going, you know, I really don't want to lose this person as my spouse, as my friend, as my favorite brother or sister, you know, kind of whatever it is. And so, of course, I'm going to go in and try to set things right. That should be the attitude that we're trying to, you know, put together Whenever we go to God with our with a repentant heart, like I said, is there anything? Is it bad to go to God and ask God's forgiveness because I don't want to go to hell? It's not bad, um, but there's something's better, and the better thing is to understand that God loves us more than we can possibly imagine, and so out of out of deference for that relationship of love, I just want nothing more than to set things right because I want to be in a right relationship with God, the way I want to be in a right relationship with other people around me um, that, that are important to me. 
And so, again, I, you know, with, with repentance being the, the bread and butter of the Christian, I mean, we begin every Mass, you know, with, with a penitential rite, you know, telling God, telling neighbor that we're sorry for what we've done. And, you know, the rest of Mass is, is peppered with all kinds of, of language of, of, of forgiveness. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed is called to the Supper of the Lamb. You know, they say that the the whole mass is full of these um, references to the forgiveness of sins. And so we can see then that, you know, like I said, repentance isn't one and done. It's something that we're going to have to keep on working on over and over again. But I think one of the important things for us to work on is our attitude and our, our kind of the orientation that we have going into repentance. Um, there's probably a good number of souls in heaven, I'm sure there are, that went through life going, well, you know, yeah, I keep on falling into these same sins. I'll go and confess them. I'll get my little sweat, slate wiped clean, and then I'll go out and do it again. Well, maybe so, but at least we're struggling with it. And we're, you know, we're, we're going to confession. We're getting that sacramental grace and trying to do better and trying to, you know, do the, do what we should. Um, it's not an easy thing to do. We all know that, but we keep pushing ahead. But there are other folks, and I think probably all of us have experienced this at least to some degree, um, probably some of us to a greater degrees than others, though, the, where we say, yeah, you know, doing whatever it was, you know, maybe I have a certain sin that used to, used to you know, really vex me in my past, but then I kind of got to the point where it's like, yeah, I don't even want to do that anymore. Now, what is it that caused that? What got me to the point of struggling with a sin that I would constantly fall back into to finally getting past it and going, you know, that was a real problem for me when I was in my teens or when I was in my 20s or, you know, when I first got married. But, you know, but now, nah, you know, I've, I've kind of left that behind. Well, I think if we look at that and we look why we left it behind and why it's no longer a temptation and why it's no longer a, you know, a demon, you know, kind of, you know, nagging at me all the time, it's because of sacramental grace, number one. But then number two, I think we got to the point of seeing things the way God sees them. We came, we became perfect as our father is perfect. We began to see the big picture. I mean, uh, 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 an example is patience. You know, a lot of people, you know, I'm just not patient enough. I'm just not patient enough. Personally, I think patience is overrated. I think if everybody, if everybody was as patient as they thought they should be, nothing would ever get done. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think we, we, you know, we have to still kind of push ahead and try to make things, make the right things happen, which they should. But what, you know, what is true patience? Is true patience whenever something happens that bothers me, that, that tests me, that, that kind of gets my, you know, gets my, you know, underwear in a knot or whatever. And I just go, okay, I'm going to sit here and by a superhuman act of willpower, I'm just going to sit on my hands. I'm going to keep my mouth shut and I'm not going to do anything. Is that what it is? I don't think so. And I think one of the best ways to illustrate this is look at the way that parents deal with their kids and the way grandparents deal with their grandkids. Okay, same kids. You know, the, the, you got little Johnny or little Susie that's the, the son or daughter of, you know, Bob and Lulabelle. Um, but then they got, you know, the grandparents. Why is it that grandparents are more patient with their grandkids than parents are with their kids? Well, you know, someone might say, well, it's because the grandparents have the luxury of playing with the kids and then dumping them back on the parents. And that's probably true. But I think at the same time, 
as we get older, we're able to just kind of stand back and see the big picture and go, you know, is that really worth getting my stomach all up in a knot about? And older people, because they have the benefit of experience, are kind of going, eh, it just isn't worth it, you know? And, they, 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 you know, and many older people will say, yeah, you know, back when I was in my 30s, something like that would have just, you know, lit my fuse. But now I look at it and it's like, eh, it's, it's just not worth it. And see, again, I think that's what patience is. Patience is the ability to look at the big picture and go, is this worth getting upset about or not? In other words, patience is, can I see this from God's point of view? The, um, I think that, that, again, looking at it that way, then we can see because there is such a thing as righteous anger. You know, if there's something that's, that's wrong, if there's something happening that's bad news and my anger moves me to try to right that which is wrong, then, you know, that's a good thing. That's called righteous anger. We're supposed to do that. And so, um, but at the same time, you know, people beat themselves up all the time. Well, I'm just not a patient person. I'm just not a patient person. Well, again, what do you mean by patience? Uh, I don't think patience means we sit there and just eat it and, and, you know, stuff it down our throat and just don't say anything or don't do anything, you know, because if I express some kind of displeasure, I'm an unpatient person. I don't think that that's not the case at all. You know, patience is, again, being perfect as our Father is perfect, seeing things from God's point of view, asking myself, is this worth really getting bent out of shape or, about or not? And I think most of the time we find out that it's not. Okay, and so again, this is just a you know a little brief reflection on um, on what repentance looks like, because again, I get, you know we're supposed to be repenting all the time of our sins. You know, you might notice when we come to church, whenever we whenever mass starts. The priest will begin Mass saying, as we, we come together, let us call to mind our sins. Notice he doesn't give us 20 minutes to do that. Why is it that we just have, you know, 15 seconds to call to mind our sins? Because part of the Christian life, being this constant state of repentance, it shouldn't take me that long to call to mind my sins because I'm constantly reflecting on, you know, my sinfulness and my need of God's grace. And so that whenever I come to church and, you know, the, I'm given a brief period of time to examine my conscience and call those things forward, they should be ready at hand. You know, it shouldn't be something that's going to take me that long to figure it out because, again, repentance is, you know, part of the daily bread and butter of the Christian life. So again, as we get, um, you know, as the we work on that as part of our daily life as Christians, and then again, every year Lent comes around, and um, we need to take some time to reflect upon, you know, what we need to try to get better on with Lent, um, reflecting upon on what Jesus means by be perfect as your Father is perfect. Try to see things from God's point of view. You know, that when, when we get to that point, if we're blessed enough to get to that point, we're going to see that, well, you know, gee whiz, if I can see it from God's point of view, I'm going to recognize it for what it is. And if it's good, I'm going to embrace it. And if it's bad, if it's, if it's, a, if it's a vice, I'm going to naturally shy away from it. In which case, then the good part about it is the struggle kind of goes away because we just want to embrace good and, and stay away from what's bad because that's what God himself would do. And we want to, you know, we try to imitate him as best we can. So again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I'm the pastor of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina. And this is the Double-Edged Sword Program here on KGOH 89.1 Colby, KJDM 101.7 Lindsburg, Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, 
KMDG 105.7 Hayes and KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the double-edged sword program, we're cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And so we'll take a few moments now to um, take a breather. And then I have, when I get back, I've got something completely different to talk about. Um, but we'll hear from the fine folks that sponsor this program. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey gang, we are back. You're listening to the Double-Edged Sword Program on the fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KGOH 88.9.1 Colby, KJDM 101.7 Lindsberg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, and our flagship station, the one that began it all many, many years ago, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And in the, the previous part of the program, we talked about repentance and what that looks like. But on this part of the program, I want to shift gears and talk about something just completely different. And that is our consumption of media and why I think it's a very good thing that we listen to Catholic radio. Now, again, in the, in the interest of, 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 of total transparency, as they call it, um, I don't get paid for this. You know, um, this isn't something that I do to line my own, feather my own nest with or line my pockets with. I don't get paid for doing this. It's just something that I believe in. In fact, it's the opposite. I pay for it. I donate on the carathons, you know, so. But what I want to look at is when we look at the, at the media that we consume outside of Catholic radio, whether it's on television, whether it's the Internet, whether it's, you know, whatever, however it is that we're getting stuff. What I'm going to mention, what I'm going to talk about in these next few minutes, hopefully this is nothing that's going to come as news to anybody. Um, but I am going to name names so as there we, we know exactly what we're talking about. In that, you know, when we look, when we look at, the, at the media out there, the, you know, there would be what we call the left media and the right media, okay? And so for the left-leaning media, we're talking about CNN, MSNBC, CBS, NBC, ABC, National Public Radio, you know, the, these, these you know, mainstream media outlets, which have basically just turned to nothing more than a propaganda wing for the Democratic Party. Now, hold on, I'll get to the Republicans in a minute, so everybody just sit tight. But... When you look at folks like Anderson Cooper, Bill Maher, and so on, or my, my favorite one, you know, the show The View, where you got these names, Whoopi Goldberg, Joy Behar, and Sonny Hostin, or however you pronounce their last names, you know, Whoopi, Joy, and Sonny. Boy, those sure are happy-sounding words, aren't they? These are the most angry, bitter, acrimonious people on, on the, the news waves, you know? Um, if you're listening to people talk, they are not happy. They are not, you know, Joy Behar is not a joyful person. Sonny Hostin is not a sunny person. And no one feels like saying whoopee around whoopee because they're all just full of anger and, 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 and nastiness. And so the thing is, is when, when you, you look at these folks, and I think you know most people know that when you when you listen to the mainstream media, most of what you're getting is just a big lie anyway, you know. And and then you know, we listen to it, and then you know we, our stomach all gets in a knot. How do they get away with that, and so on? Well, then go to the other end. Go to people like Fox or Newsmax, you know the that um, you know and names like Sean Hannity, Andrew Wilkow, David Webb, or the late Rush Limbaugh, you know folks like that. You look at what these folks do. If you listen to them, and it, you know, I listen to a variety of this stuff, and that's why I'm able to kind of put this together. 
But if you turn, if you tune into um, um, Sirius 125, that's kind of their Patriot channel, and you listen to Andrew Wilkow or David Webb, or you listen to Sean Hannity and so on, I mean, every the, the basically their script for the day is, can you believe what? and then just fill in the name. Can you believe what Barack Obama just said? Can you believe what Joe Biden just said? Boy, if, fill in the other name, if George Bush would have done that, if Donald Trump would have done that, you know, the media would be apoplectic by now. And really, that, that's really all they ever talk about all day long, if you listen to them. All they talk about is, you know, they point out the hypocrisy of the left of the left leaning media, which is there. It is very hypocritic, hypocritical, and but that's all they do, and then they just bring it out. And when you listen to it over time, you sit there, and it, all it does is, I think it just makes your stomach generate more stomach acid, and you walk away from the whole thing, you know, just being angry and bitter. If you are more, you know, towards the left, more towards the Democratic side of things, and you watch The View with Whoopi, Joy, and Sonny, or if you watch Anderson Cooper's 360 on CNN and so on, if you watch these various things, and you're going to hear what they're saying about their opponents, you're going, yeah, yeah, boy, you know, look at that. You know, those, those people on the right, they sure are terrible people and everything. And again, what does it do? It generates a whole bunch of stomach acids, and you walk away being angry, all right? And I think really what it, what it comes down to, maybe at one time, I don't know, I'm 61, 62 years old, maybe 50 years ago, maybe the media outlets really were more noble and honorable, and they were there, you know, to, to report truth, you know, or at least try. Because one of the things that, you know, the founding fathers talked about was that, you know, we, we had, that's why, that's why the, the freedom of the press is enshrined in the First Amendment is because we need a free and independent press to report on people doing bad stuff, you know, to, to keep us all informed, you know, as, as opposed to what you have in, in the Islamic republics or, you know, in the former Soviet Union and communist places and so on, where the government, the state controls all the media, and so they control what the people hear. Well, in our culture, it's not supposed to be that way. And the problem is, is that, you know, with, with, with all of our media outlets, is the business. And it's all based on selling advertising. I don't care if you're Fox, if you're CNN, if you're CBS, if you're Newsmax or whatever, you're on the air to sell ad space. And, um, and the way you sell ads is by attracting an audience. And so if, if you're just calmly reporting the truth and people are kind of going, that's kind of boring, I'm going to tune into this other station that sensationalizes stuff, then, you know, you're not going to be able, you're not going to be able to show your advertisers, look, we reach this demographic, we reach this many, these many people and so on, and they're going to take their advertising dollars someplace else. And so that's kind of why I think that's the game that they're all playing right now is they just want to get us all ginned up and, you know, get everybody kind of worked up into a frenzy because that sells advertising space. All of this as opposed to Catholic radio. All right. Notice on Catholic radio, you know, people support us because they want to. You know, we have underwriters. When people, you know, call in and make donations on the carathons, you know, we do this. I say we because I'm one of them that does it. We do it because we believe in the mission of Catholic Radio. And so that being the case, Catholic Radio has a tremendous freedom to be able to stand out, to get outside of that fray and 
work on just kind of pre presenting the gospel and presenting the truth of the matter. But again, I, I would challenge you to tune in on one of the early morning news programs, like the Sunrise Morning Show um, with Teresa Tomio, and you listen to her report stuff, as opposed to what, what you're going to hear on the other stations. And um, it's a very common reasoned approach. I mean, it isn't to say that, you know, she doesn't get passionate about things at times, which she does, but nonetheless, you know, it's just kind of presented more as, okay, here's what we're seeing. This is what's good about it. This is what's bad about it. In Catholic radio, you don't see us trying to demonize the other side and say they're bad people, you know, and so on. Instead, it's just like, here's the topic. Here's what the church teaches. Here's how we bring the light of the gospel to bear on this particular issue, whatever it is. And then we kind of just leave it at that. And so again, I think this is one of the reasons why it, it would just it just behooves us. It'd be, it just, for me, it's been a, it's been a tremendous thing because I found myself falling into the same trap um, again in the interest of total transparency. And I doubt it'll come as much as a surprise to anybody listening to me right now. But you know, I you know I listened to Andrew Wilkow and David Webb on on this on on Sirius 125, and um, used to listen to good old Rush. He was always kind of fun to listen to. Um, I've given up on Sean Hannity. Because again, all these guys do is just day in and day out, you know, well, you know, you know, look what so-and-so did. Look what Joe Biden did. Look what Nancy Pelosi did. Look what Barack Obama did. And they're despicable things these people do, no question about it. But then they'll go, you know, yeah, boy, you know, if Donald Trump would have tried that, if George Bush would have tried that, you know, then Whoopi Goldberg and Bill Maher and Anderson Cooper and all these, you know, CNN and MSNBC people, you know, would just would just go crazy, which they would. It's true. But the thing of it is, is does it, you know, they, they, they report on this and they make all this noise and does it change anything? Does anything get better? Does anything get corrected? The answer is no. And so I think that probably it does, it, it just gonna do us all a lot more good to tune these folks out. You know, I mean, we have to tune in to kind of get our news, but you know, the news programs on Catholic radio are pretty good. And if you want to listen to issue-based stuff, tune in to Al Crest in the afternoon. You know, Al, he, he came in and spoke at one of our um, Divine Mercy radio banquets some years ago. And um, you talk about a guy who is just a very level-headed, clear thinker. Um, I, I just find him so refreshing to listen to in the afternoon. And again, in the mornings when I'm, I'm, you know, when I'm up and about, um, that's when I listen to Teresa Tomio and I listen to her newscasts. And, um, and again, they're, they're just much more reasoned and, and, and level-headed and, and better thought out. And so again, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm, I think it would probably be good to, um, to tune in to one of our Catholic radio stations, just break the knob off your radio and just leave it there. That'd be the best thing to do, but we're not going to do that. But I think that we would all do better to devote more of our media time to Catholic radio and less, you know, for like to Facebook. I mean, my gosh. I run into people all the time, you know, Father, did you see what so-and-so put on Facebook? They said this about you on Facebook. I'm going, I don't care. You know, Facebook has what? A billion followers worldwide? I don't know how many they got, but it's a lot. And with all these people that are on Facebook and everything, how is anybody going to know what somebody said about me as opposed to what they said about, you know, some guy in China or Mexico or France? You know, everybody's vomiting all over Facebook. So what, you know? And so again, I think rather than letting ourselves get all, you know, bent out, bent out of shape because of something we saw on social media, you know, just turn it off, tune it out. And 
Instead, you know, tune into to our Catholic radio stations. We got plenty of them now. We're up to five in the diocese, and um, and so you know, with with the with the great benefit of Catholic radio and the programming that it contains, again, I think it's just going to help us be much more calm, peaceful people. Because rather than having our, our minds filled up with all this acrimony and, and, and fighting um, among people who are just basically in it to sell advertising space, you know, well, you know, the, the Catholic radio, the main purpose of Catholic radio is to spread the gospel. And so throughout the course of the day, you know, we're going to hear, you know, presentations made and arguments made and so on, which are going to be backed up by the gospel. They're going to be backed up by scripture, backed up by the teachings of the church and not backed up by, you know, six talking heads on the TV screen all yelling at each other like we see all the time. And so again, I, I this in the second half of the program, this is different than what I usually do, but I just I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I'd fallen into the same trap. You know, I was I was tuning into these various radio programs and so on, and and you'd hear them, oh yeah, you know, by golly, you know, if 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 you know George Bush would have done that, if Ronald Reagan would have done that, boy, they they'd be out. Yeah, you're sitting there in your car going, boy, that's right, they really would. But then, after you listen to all that and you get all bent out of shape about it. How how has the situation improved? And it hasn't, you know. Or again, like I said, if you're on, you know leaning towards the more the left end of the, of the spectrum, and you're watching CNN, you're watching, you're listening to NPR or something like that, and you hear them ranting and raving against the you know various powers that be that they don't like. Okay, well and good. I mean, they have the right to say it. But when you listen to that and and you allow yourself to be drawn into it. And then we walk away from it all bent out of shape. It's like, are we better off for it? Are we better people for it? And I think the answer is a resounding no. But I think that um, well, you know, based on my own experience with Catholic radio, listening to our Catholic radio stations, and then having my mind and my heart and my soul you know, filled up with you know, more reasoned um, presentations and things that are ultimately backed up and, and that, that have their credibility resting on the validity of the gospel, um, that's, been, that's just been a big help to me. And I would just throw that out there you know, to our listeners you know, to see if it wouldn't be a bigger help to you. I mean, if you're listening to this program right now, you're listening to Catholic radio, and so why not kind of make a commitment to listen to more Catholic radio, you know, find you know, get the go on go on our website at dv is in Victor dvmercy.com, and you know, go to our website and find you know the click on the on the on the schedule. And see when the various programs are. You know, the One Body program, which is which is produced in house, the Double Edged Sword program, which is produced here in house. Two locally produced programs on our on our Catholic radio station here, and then the other the other station the other programs that come in from EWTN. You know, again, like the you know Crest in the afternoon, um, the you know the the morning news programs. Um, um, called to communion with Dr. David Anders, you know, people like that. You know, these are, these are great programs that um, really kind of, you know, feed us the truth of the Catholic faith rather than just whatever's, you know, got somebody's stomach all in a knot, you know, for this particular day. You know, one of the things I think that we can do to prove to ourselves how silly all this is, is, you know, find something, you know, get a, get a piece of paper out or something and listen to, you know, one of the, you know, one of the news stations, listen to CNN, listen to Newsmax, listen to Fox, listen to NPR, whatever it is, and listen to what they're been out of shape about and write it down. You know, write down two or three of those topics and then put that piece of paper away and come back and look at it again in a week. And you'll look at that and you go, 
I let myself get bent out of shape because of that. You know, because again, that's what they do. They they draw us in, they gin up all of this, you know, unrest and, and unease and everything because it sells advertising space. Um, in Catholic radio, we, you know, we can't sell advertising space. All we can do is accept donations. And so that, you know, gives us a, a certain sense of objectivity um, that a lot of a lot of other folks otherwise wouldn't have. So again, you can kind of take that all for what it's worth. None of that is the official teaching of the church. That's just Father Fred Gatch's personal take on things. And again, you can take it for what it's worth. So um, again, this will you know, kind of wind up another installment of the Double-Edged Sword program. Again, I am Father Fred Gatchett. I am the, the pastor of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, and the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina. And you've been listening to the Double-Edged Sword program on our fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KGOH 89.1 Colby, KJDM 101.7 Lindsburg, Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, and our original station, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. As always, we invite you to go to our website at DV, V as in Victor, DVMercy.com and check out what's happening there. There are archived installments of the Double-Edged Sword program there. You can you know, look up a, a previous um, program that maybe you missed. Um, also, there you, there's the donate button. Um, we're always in, in constant need of uh, a few shekels here and there to kind of keep the bills paid. Um, we are growing. We're on to up to our fifth station now, and so we're thankful to God for that. But again, um, you know, t- check out our, our webpage. Um, you can also feel free to call the station at 785-621-4110. And um, we, if you have a, have a suggestion for a, a future Double-Edged Sword program, we can put that on the air for you. Give us an idea and we'll do the homework. So again, I'm Father Fred Gatchett. Thank you for tuning in. And um, we'll see you next time here on the Double-Edged Sword program.